Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you wanna be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. And welcome to the main event. That's right, Rocky. It's not how hard you hit or how hard you get hit, but it's how hard you hit back. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to hit back hard a lot in the next hour. I can promise you that. I am Scott McAfee. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Scott McAfee, the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands. And I'm filling in for Ed Hoffman this week. Ed will be back in two weeks. So you'll have two back-to-back shows with yours truly. That's exciting, isn't it? I know I'm excited. So, uh, we're going to cover a lot of things, a lot of things political. This has been an unbelievable week. We have all kinds of things to talk about regarding the election, uh, regarding current events, things that are going on out there, uh, things that you should be concerned about, things that you should be aware about. We're going to cover all of it. Uh, But before I begin, let me make my usual disclaimer, and that is I am not a professional radio talk show host. I actually just sound like one. Uh, The truth of the matter is I'm just a regular person just like you, but I'm very politically incorrect and I got a big mouth and I'm not afraid to use it, which I think makes me the perfect fill-in host for Ed. But let's begin now uh, with, of course, a a brief shout out to the main sponsor of our show, the founder of the feast, if you will, and that is Wholesale Capital Corporation, your direct mortgage lender with offices to serve you in Moreno Valley, Corona, Temecula, Orange, Downey, Westlake Village. And if you need financing for a new home or you want to refinance your existing home or you want to participate in some of the great investment opportunities that are real estate, I know I did, you can call them toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. That number one more time, 855-640-2020. But if you're quiet and you're introverted just like me and Ed and you don't want to talk to anybody on the phone, you can go on to edhoffman.net and you can hit the apply now button. Fill out as much information as you can. Let Ed know what information you want back to help you with your real estate needs and either Ed or a member of his team will get back to you promptly. Um, If you're so impressed by some of our brilliant commentary, you can download this and four previous shows by going on to edhoffman.net, or you can go on to iTunes and uh, you can download it onto your iPad, your iPhone, your iPod, any of your electronic devices, your iWatch, whatever you got, or you can go on to am590theanswer.com, push the podcast button, and you can get this and four previous shows. You can also follow Ed on Twitter at edhoffman.com. 
where he tweets about current events all week long. And you can like the show on Facebook. Uh, just do a Facebook search of the main event 590 and find the show page. You can also read Ed's weekly opinion columns uh, by visiting the iebusinessdaily.com. Click on the opinion tab and see his full list of columns or find the link on your Facebook page. Uh, this week's column is about how Ed believes that Trump's business savvy could be instrumental in our foreign policy. Uh, one other thing we, we definitely want to mention is that um, Ed wants everybody to know that you need to register for this year's WCC Charities Push-Ups for Charity event on May the 21st in Marino Valley. That's at the Wholesale Capital Corporation building in Marino Valley. Uh, this uh, event is benefiting wounded veterans through the boot campaign. So whether you want to do push-ups at the event or you want to you want to just like to donate to that event, you can go to wccharities.org, click on the Push-Ups for Charity banner at the top of the page, um, and as you heard Joey Jones say on last week's show, all the money raised from this event goes directly to helping wounded veterans with jobs, housing, and other much-needed support. So go to wccharities.org, click on the Push-Ups for Charity banner if you can help. Uh, WCC Charities is an all-volunteer organization with zero overhead. Uh, it's run entirely by the host of this program. Of course, that's Ed Hoffman and his all-volunteer staff. And by the way, I want to mention one thing, too. They're going to have a special singer, Anna Nalek, uh, best known for her hit, Breathe. Can we play a little clip from that, please? Very nice. Okay, so that's something you can look forward to. I will be there as well, so you want to come out and hang out with me. We can talk about politics. We can talk about bicycles. And by the way, if you do need a bicycle, of course, you can go to one of our locations in Redlands or Rialto. That is Don's Bicycle Store. We've been serving the Inland Empire for 57 years. Actually, my dad started the business back in 1959, so 57 years ago. Uh, so whether you're a road cyclist, a mountain biker, if you're looking for a bike for yourself or a loved one, myself or my staff will be happy to take care of you. So here it is, my second solo show. I'm really excited. Um, I know when I figured it out the other day, Ed has been on the air for eight years doing a show every week. So if you add that up, Ed has done like like over 400 shows, which is just a ton. So this is my second solo show. And I actually, the last time I was on the air back in January, I did get my first fan phone call. So I appreciate that. I actually had a woman call up and said that she thought I was better than a lot of the uh, the big hosts on some of the other stations. Um, I asked her if my wife uh, called her and told her to tell me that, and she said no. Uh, but that was my first fan phone call, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I'm always open to feedback from people, uh, and that was uh, was much appreciated. So, so she's listening now. I just want to give her a shout-out. That was my first fan. Um, the last time I was on the show, uh, I spent a good deal of time talking about the San Bernardino terrorist attack. Uh, it was obviously the largest attack that's happened on American soil since 9-11, and it was local. It was close. 
And many of us who live in this area, new people in law enforcement, I know law enforcement involved in the investigation. I know paramedics, I know firefighters that were there on the scene. And I revealed a lot of details that haven't been reported at the time and still haven't been reported. Probably three of the main things were that um, that there were two additional female suspects that were apprehended leaving the house. This was after the attack, after the, the other suspects had been killed, uh, Farouk and, and Tashfeen Malik. Um, they, these two female suspects were the, were Tashfeen's sister and mother. Uh, I also talked about how that a lot of the politicians wanted to make this about the guns and that was pretty apparent, I think, but, but there definitely was a real underlying push to make this about gun control. And I also shared with you the FBI's obsession with the organization CARE, and that's the Council for Islamic uh, Islamic American relations, which in my opinion is nothing but a front group for, for terrorism. Uh, but, but certainly the FBI is very concerned about their opinions and what they had to say and, and their involvement. It's kind of like care somehow has become the mouthpiece for all Muslims like, uh, like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton are now somehow they've appointed themselves the mouthpiece for all black people. But I did want to, to give you some updates on the San Bernardino terrorist attack and kind of take you through sort of a, a moment by moment, uh, scenario of what exactly happened to give you some details that otherwise have not been talked about. The first other thing that I, the first thing I wanted to mention is that the city of San Bernardino, if you don't know, is in bankruptcy. And, and what that's meant is that the police department is now on a skeleton crew of what they normally were. They're actually down like 120 officers due to the financial crisis within that city. And to me, it's just one more example of what happens when Democrats run a city. They pretty much put it into bankruptcy. Um, the bottom line is on any given day, there's usually only six officers on patrol in the city of San Bernardino, which if you think about it, it's kind of scary because San Bernardino, I think next to, I think Oakland has one of the highest uh, crime rates of any city in the nation and certainly any city in the state. And when you think about that much crime, they actually had a record number of murders through April. I just found that out recently. That's that's really scary. There's a lot of crime in San Bernardino and not enough law enforcement to cover it. Um, the one thing that happened on the day of the attack was, fortunately, uh, there was a SWAT team training uh, going on for the sheriff's department um, as well as the police department. So it was actually a lot of officers training at Glen Hill, and that was only 10 minutes away. So that had a lot to do with the fact there were so many officers on the scene so quickly the police got the original call at 1057 that there was a shooting in progress and that there were multiple victims. They actually arrived at 11 o'clock, give or take, and that was like a three-minute response time, which is unbelievable if you think of how fast those officers responded. And there was actually only four cops that arrived at the scene at the time. There was a motor cop, a detective, a patrolman, and a lieutenant, and all they had were their sidearms, by the way. So the point is that we all know how heavily armed the suspects were. These patrol arms would have been totally out. These patrol officers would have been completely outgunned had they had the suspects still been in the building at the time. Uh, when they arrived, they observed people running out bleeding. Uh, one of the one of the uh, victims uh, told the officers they left. They left. Um, now, one of the things that police officers have to do before paramedics can actually go in there and treat people is they have to secure the building. They have to secure the building. Paramedics will not go into a building that is not designated as secure. So when the officers walked in this building, it was absolute chaos. The sprinklers had gone off because of the, the shrapnel that had been uh, flying everywhere had actually triggered the sprinklers. So you had, it was almost like rain inside the building. That combined with the fact there was just smoke everywhere. You literally could barely see your hand in front of your face. So it was absolute mayhem in the building at the time when the officers arrived. Um, 
the the officers are literally stepping over bodies as they're walking through this. And again, they, they can barely even see in this place. And one of the first things that the officers noticed was a child's car, a little remote control car. You've seen the kids with their little remote controls, which looked really, really suspicious because that car was actually wired up to a backpack. And at that point, the officers also observed multiple backpacks within the building. Now, they didn't know at this time whether there was another government gunman in the building or not. So obviously they're proceeding with extreme caution. Um, now, since paramedics couldn't come in the building, they literally had to start carrying victims out by hand. Um, and there was a total of 39 people shot that day. A lot of people forget that we had 14 deaths. 39 people were shot. And of the people that the police were able to remove out of the building, uh, all of them survived except one. So again, this is a testimony to the bravery, dedication, and quick thinking of the San Bernardino Police Departments. Uh, they actually, when additional help arrived, they cleared out buildings for an entire mile. So it wasn't just this building they had to clear out. They had to clear out all the surrounding buildings. So fortunately, help had arrived pretty quickly because there were so many other officers in the area at the time. The suspects were masked at the time. And while it was uncertain who actually did it, um, victims reported shooting victims. One gal actually had a big hole in her leg. She was able to report to police officers that she thought that it was Farouk. And the reason she said that was because he'd been acting strangely that day, as well as for the past previous months. Um, she thought it was very suspicious. So she kind of was the first to name Farouk as a suspect. The, the biggest problem that the officers initially faced was that they, they didn't know how to spell his name. A lot of Muslim names are difficult to pronounce, let alone spell. And it was fortunate that someone within the department was able to track Farouk due to some traffic violations that he had received in Redlands. So they were able to actually ID the guy fairly quickly. Uh, from that information, they were actually able to figure out that he had rented a car, the Black Ford Expedition with Utah, Utah plates from a, uh, an enterprise rental car operation, which was in Redlands. Um, and they were actually able to talk to the owner of that business who gave them the information and actually gave them Farouk's phone number. From Farouk's phone number, they were actually able to get in touch with T-Mobile, who got a ping on it. A ping meaning that it's a way you can track a phone uh, through using their technology and actually place where the suspects are. So by 12 o'clock, just to give you an idea on the time frame, by 12 o'clock, they got their first ping on this guy, trying to figure out where exactly he was. Um, officers went back to the apartment. Once they knew that it was Farouk, they staked out the apartment. 10 minutes later, the car pulls up. Farouk's in the front and uh, Tashfin Malik is in the back seat and they drive by the apartment. Uh, I think the speculation was that they were going to go there to retrieve more explosives. They didn't stop at the apartment, though. They actually kept going. At this point, officers followed them. Um, they got, they actually managed to ditch the cops. Once they realized they were being tailed, they managed to ditch the following officers who were an undercover, uh, undercover car. Um, sheriffs later spotted the car and the chase began. Uh, the female suspect starts throwing pipe bombs out the window. And this was something I was not aware of. So she's hurling pipe bombs out the window at the pursuing law enforcement. She then shoots out the back window. Uh, to give her a clear access so she can actually fire back. So while he's driving, she's firing the guns at the cops, almost like mobster style. Uh, at this point, he actually pulls over the car. He exits the car and fires three rounds. That's all he manages to get out before officers killed him with a fatal blast to the head. She's still firing from the back seat. And the way that she's firing indicates to the officers, this woman has been trained. She's dodging from the passenger seat to the driver's seat for cover. She's very skillful. She's got good aim. Um, so they can tell that, that this woman has actually been through some training. 
Um, at this point, by the way, civilians are starting to pick up the bombs that were thrown out of the, the vehicle, which was kind of led to some of the speculation there was more people involved. But you literally have citizens of San Bernardino picking up these, these pipe bombs. Uh, and it's fortunate that nobody was killed from that. Um, obviously, we know the rest of the story there that, that the suspects were killed. Um, at this point, law enforcement returns back to the apartment. And this is the one thing that I talked about the last time I was on the show that nobody has talked about up to this point. And that's the fact that two female suspects packed a car very nervously. They're in a rush and, and left the apartment scene. Uh, officers followed this vehicle, pulled them over and managed to ID them as Tashfeen Malik's sister and mother. These two women are very nervous. They've got their stuff packed. Uh, they were actually cuffed, turned over to the FBI. The FBI interviewed them and then released them. And they released them into the custody of CARE, by the way, the Council for American Islamic Relations. Um, SWAT actually enters the apartment. They find pipe bombs, smashed phones, missing hard drives. Missing hard drives were never recovered, by the way. Uh, even though re residents had reported packages and people coming and going for weeks in that apartment. But again, as we all know, they're afraid to talk about it because they didn't want to sound Islamophobic. Um, it took the FBI 10 days to get a search warrant uh, to get access to the two female suspects vehicle 10 days. Normally it takes a day to two for police to actually um, search a vehicle uh, that's been involved in a crime. It took the FBI 10 days to get the warrants to search the car in the car. They found $3,000 in cash. They found passports, phones, computers, uh, all kinds of information. Um, and one thing I do want to bring you up to speed about, cause I know I could, I could spend an hour on this, but I do want everybody to know that, uh, the suspects have not left the country. They're still under surveillance. Uh, the iPhone, this was a big deal. They finally got to open up the iPhone. All I can tell you without going into details is that the iPhone has proved very valuable in terms of giving a lot of information to law enforcement, and they expect that arrests will be made from this. So this was not an isolated event. There was lots of people involved. Um, and, um, and this is, I think people need to know about this because this is one of the things facing us now. And I do want to mention one other thing too. I, for the, for one of the first times a couple months ago, I had an opportunity to actually see the faces of the victims and those faces were actually put up on edhoffman.net. And, and I think the thing that struck me when I saw them was that my gosh, I mean, this is America. I mean, when you look at them, they're young and they're old and they're black and they're white and they're Hispanic, they're Asian. Um, it's kind of a cross section of America. When I think of one of the things I really like about America is that we are we are multi ethnic. Um, we're comprised of lots of different people from all over the world. We're not multicultural, mind you, multi ethnic. And and one of the saddest parts is that two of the victims actually came to this country to escape religious persecution. So it's kind of a real sad irony uh, to this whole story. But but stay tuned for more developments. This thing is far from over. Um, and, uh, we're going to get obviously the, the most recent, uh, arrest by the way of the two women. At first I thought it was the two female suspects. It turned out to be just a couple of Russian dirt bags who were apprehended on marriage fraud. They really had nothing to do with, with this, uh, with this incident. So that's that. Um, now I want to move on to the election. Uh, we're talking about Tuesday's election in Indiana. And as many of you know, uh, who have listened to me and Ed talk. Uh, Ed is obviously a Donald Trump supporter. I'm a Ted Cruz guy. And to all of those Ted Cruz supporters, all I can say is I feel your pain. Um, this was a very depressing moment for me uh, when Cruz threw in the towel in the campaign. And, and I want to thank the voters of Indiana for ruining my day, uh, for making me sad and depressed. 
uh, and and for making California actually now irrelevant in this contest. So once again, California has no say so in the presidential election. Um, so I, I do want to actually play a clip from Ted Cruz. This is Ted Cruz on the concession speech. If we can play that clip now, please. I've said that I would continue on as long as there was a viable path to victory. Tonight, I'm sorry to say, it appears that path has been foreclosed. We left it all on the field in Indiana. We gave it everything we've got. But the voters chose another path. And so, with a heavy heart, but with boundless optimism for the long-term future of our nation, we are suspending our campaign. You hear all those people going, no, in the audience. That's like me. I think when I saw that uh, come across the screen, it was just like, are you kidding me? Really? Um, you know, what can I tell you? I thought Cruz was a better candidate than Donald Trump. And when I say better, I mean, he's more professional, more presidential. He's a proven conservative. Uh, his family has more of appeal to me. Um, I mean, if you compare Heidi Cruz to what is it? Trump's wife. I can't even think of her. What's her name? Melanoma. I can't even think of her name. Melanie. I, I don't even, I don't even care. There is no comparison to the professionalism of Ted Cruz versus Donald Trump. And I also thought that, just from an odd standpoint that the odds of Ted Cruz beating Hillary Clinton were better. And there was actually quite a few polls at the time to kind of back me up on that one. So very sad. Uh, once again, I feel your pain, fellow Cruz supporters. Um, now, Donald Trump had this to say about Ted Cruz once he took Indiana and Trump and uh, Cruz dropped out. Ted Cruz, I don't know if he likes me or if he doesn't like me, but he is one hell of a competitor. He is a tough, smart guy. And, and he has got an amazing future. He's got an amazing future. So I want to congratulate Ted. And I know how tough it is. It's tough. It's tough. I've had some moments where it was not looking so good. And it's not a great feeling. And so I understand how Ted feels and Heidi and their whole beautiful family. And I want to just say, though, that uh, one tough competitor. Well, thanks, Donald. Uh, we all appreciate that. Um, you know, sad. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, not only that, but the day that this all happened, Trump made this stupid comment, which in my book has been the stupidest thing that Donald Trump has said thus far. Uh, and this was regarding a, an article that was in the National Enquirer. Uh, by the way, uh, Trump's buddy David Pecker owns the National Enquirer. I think the name says it all. But here was the comment that Trump made earlier. His father was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald's being uh, you know, shot. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. What, what, what is this right prior to his being shot? And nobody even brings it up. I mean, they don't even talk about that. That was reported uh, and nobody talks about it. But I think it's horrible. Right. There was a picture out there that's reportedly shows uh, uh, Raphael Cruz standing with Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, what, was he, doing with, what was he doing with Lee Harvey Oswald right. shortly before the death, before the shooting? It's, it's Crazy. horrible. It's horrible. What was he doing? Yeah, maybe... Wait a minute, maybe Raphael Cruz was the other shooter on the grassy knoll. And maybe Ted Cruz is actually Lee Harvey Oswald's son. 
no, wait, Darth Vader is Ted Cruz's real father. You know, do you see where we're going? This is just absolute lunacy. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm hearing this. And by the way, I actually had a chance to, to hear Rafael Cruz speak in person. I was blown away. He's a super brilliant guy, very articulate. He must be I'm going to say late 70s, maybe early 80s. I actually got my photo taken with him. So does that mean that I'm an accessory to the Kennedy assassination because I had my picture taken with Rafael Cruz, who had his picture taken with Lee Harvey Oswald at some point, Oswald. So again, stupid, stupid comments. Um, there was also uh, some discussion about this where a Trump campaign person tried to defend it. So let's, let's play that clip. Cruz had a press conference at 11.30 this morning that was far more vitriolic. Yeah, but Trump said that. that on Fox and Friends, which is before 11 o'clock this morning. That's what I'm saying. But Ted Cruz was still doing it at 1130 today, and then he withdrew, you know, at 8 o'clock tonight. Um, you know, the campaign's yeah, but, over. The primary's but, over. But speak to his point, because somebody else raised that earlier tonight, and Trump hasn't had a defense on that. Why Why would he do that when he was, he was polling 10, 15 points ahead in Indiana before we started the day? You know, he, it was looking very much in his favor. And a lot of folks said, wait a minute, we've, we've been through three weeks now where Trump was behaving more presidentially. Wh why? You know, could he be depended on to keep that going? Well, you know, I don't think he was going to, he's not going to let up in a hundred yard dash. He's going to run through the tape. Uh, and so that's what he was doing. Uh, and Ted Cruz did the same thing and I admire them both for it. All right, well, we're just about out of time for part one. I will be back with my observations about Trump, what we're going to do going forward right after news, traffic, and weather. Stay with me. There's lots more to come on the main event. And welcome back to the main event. I'm Scott McAfee. I'm the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands. And I'm filling in for Ed Hoffman this week. Ed's on vacation for the next two weeks. So you have two weeks back-to-back -back with yours truly. And I do want to say, of course, once again, I am not a professional radio talk show host. I am just a regular person who's very politically incorrect. And I have a big mouth. And I do want to also say that this is a fair and balanced show, so you're going to get not only the right-wing opinion on news, politics, and events, you're going to get the extreme right-wing opinion on news, politics, and events. If you want to listen to a bunch of politically correct garbage, then please turn the dial to NPR, because this is the show that is not subsidized by your federal tax dollars. That is kind of a joke when you think about it. NPR probably wouldn't exist if it wasn't for a government handout. In other words, it's not good enough to stand up on its own two feet, which kind of begs me to the question, why is it that whenever there's a government subsidized whatever, they have to lean politically left? You know, whether it's NPR or PBS or the National Endowment for the Arts or ACORN. So it's basically my tax dollars going to support the Democratic Party. And that's one of the problems I've always had with teachers unions is that why is it that my money, my taxpayers' money goes to pay for teachers? My wife, by the way, was a teacher for 15 years. Why is it that the teachers are then forced to pay government union dues or union dues to these unions who then in turn back Democrat campaigns, who then in turn keep the unions in power? Doesn't that seem a little incestuous to you? I mean, it really does to me. So Anyways, coming back to the campaign, we now have a candidate, and that is Donald Trump. And obviously, it wasn't the outcome that I wanted. And, and I do want to talk about some of the problems that I do have, have with Trump, uh, my concerns going forward. Uh, the first is, is Israel. Uh, when he talks about having a neutral stance on Israel, um, you know, that's, that's not going to cut it. There is a good person, and there's a good guy and a bad guy in Israel, okay? And we need to understand that. Uh, he's flip-flopped a little bit on the Planned Parenthood thing. He's saying he'll defund it, but he also says it's a great organization. 
Um, I'm a little concerned with his stances on trade. Uh, it seems like his approach is to punish businesses that leave the country as opposed to maybe, I don't know, why don't you incentivize them to stay? I mean, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology and trust me, positive reinforcement works far more effectively at changing behavior than punishment. So what you do is you lower regulations and you make an environment more business friendly to incentivize them to stay here in the first place. You don't threaten to punish them for leaving. You make it easier for them to stay. But that's just my opinion. Um, I also have problems when he talks about he wants to broker the right deal with Iran, that there is no right deal with Iran. Uh, to me, my diplomatic solution to Iran is putting a Patriot missile through the forehead of the Ayatollah and then let them pick up the mess. That's my uh, that's my diplomacy. Um, a lot of his answers are kind of vague on issues um, when it comes to. Uh, well, for one thing, you, you just mentioned now about minimum wage. He's talking about, okay, well, I'm willing to look at possibly raising the minimum wage. He was asked about that on Wolf Blitzer. Would he consider uh, what Bernie Sanders wants to do, which is raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour? That's something that the last time I was on the show, I talked about how catastrophic that's going to be for California. Uh, Wolf Blitzer's question was, well, hey, Donald, uh, $7.50 or whatever the, whatever the national minimum wage, that's not a living wage. Again, it's not supposed to be the minimum wage, which shouldn't there shouldn't be a minimum wage at all, in my opinion. But it's basically the, the lower starting paying jobs are not for people to support a family, to make a mortgage payment. They're for people just entering the job force. So I got to take issue with with that. Um, and you know what? I think the fact of the matter is even Trump supporters, we have no idea what Donald Trump will do if, in fact, he's the president. We have no idea what this guy will be able to achieve, what he's not. And I think part of my fear is that we may end up with a repeat of what we had with the last time we sent a, a celebrity actor to a political office, which was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'm talking about specifically people that had no previous political experience. As far as I'm concerned, Schwarzenegger was a joke. Uh, he started off, I think, on the right foot, but he pretty much folded and became a Democrat for the rest of his time there. So we got really nothing out of the Schwarzenegger governorship. Um, now Ed and I do, do, do disagree when it comes to who we wanted to be our nominee. Obviously I wanted Ted Cruz and, uh, and I'm still crying about that. But in, in the, in the words of Hillary Clinton, what difference at this point does it make? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, Hillary, but you're right. It doesn't really make a lot of difference to cry anymore, but I do want you to get out your feelings, get out your frustrations. Uh, go ahead, be, be depressed for, I think I was depressed for like a day, maybe two and then I have to start to come around to reality because that's what we have to deal with. We have to deal with our feelings and then we have to deal with, with reality. And for me, as I've said on the show before, I would vote for a plate of dog excrement before I would vote for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I'm glad you think that's... Thank you, Hillary. I'm glad she thought that was funny. Um, where's my uh, where's my holy water? I want to get her out of the studio. Um, so to me, a pile of dog excrement has more integrity, charm, and really more personality than Hillary Clinton. So, uh, you know, that that's the bottom line for me. It's anybody but Hillary. So Ed and I both agree we will support whoever that nominee is. And even if it was Jeb Bush. And I had a real problem with Jeb Bush. He was the least person that I want to see as a nominee. However, if Jeb Bush was the nominee, I would support him 110%. So I want to take a minute and I want to speak to those Ted Cruz supporters out there. And I want to talk to John Kasich supporters as well, all four of you. And, and I want you to know that, that for me, we, we need to come together. If we're going to win this thing, we have to unite. We have to come together. And, and really the stakes 
couldn't be higher. I mean, everything that this country is about, the millions of people who have fought and worked and died for this country, it's all at stake. It's all on the line. We need to unify. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, just to give you a little sneak preview of what I'm going to do on the next show next week is I'm going to debate on the air a person who is in the Never Trump campaign, um, who basically says he will not vote for Donald Trump no matter what. And I'm going to take that on and you'll be able to listen to that debate one on one a week from today. So that's something to look forward to. Now, I do want to take a minute and talk about Donald Trump's strengths, um, because there are plenty. And, and now that he's the nominee, uh, I know I've taken some heat from people saying, well, why don't you criticize Trump more on the air? If you're a Ted Cruz person, why don't why are you dissing Donald Trump? Why don't you talk smack on Trump? And and then my wife, I think, brought it up. She goes, I know I realize what now why you don't talk bad about Trump. It's because, you know, that there's a strong possibility that he may be our nominee. And she's absolutely right. And now, in fact, he is our nominee. But let's talk about some of the strengths that Trump has. Number one, he can stand up to the media. And that's important because we've both seen we've, we've all seen examples of Republican candidates being destroyed by the media. Uh, number two, Trump fights hard. Um, you know, we lost the last two elections because, in part, we didn't fight hard enough. I think as Republicans, uh, as conservatives, we tend to be too nice. We got to stop that. It's time to take the gloves off and fight hard. Number three, uh, it's a fact, and I will acknowledge, and I've always acknowledged this, Trump brings new people into the party. Uh, and you can only you can look at the voting. I mean, he's got record numbers of votes everywhere he's going. There's record number of people, record numbers of people coming out, casting their vote for Trump, and that's a good thing. Uh, Trump is well-funded. Uh, you can't get much better funded than that. Uh, he is a billionaire. <laughs> we don't have to contribute anything to his campaign. And let's face it, unless you have a billion dollars, I don't even know if you have you have a hope of even winning, because certainly Hillary Clinton will have a billion dollars in her war chest going forward. Um, I think that I think there's he's he's an un, he's an unconventional candidate, and I think that's a good thing too, because you know Hillary Clinton and her campaign are used to running conventional campaigns against conventional opponents. Donald Trump is a very unconventional candidate. You don't know what this guy's going to do next. That's a good thing. He is strong in immigration, national security, the military. He's got an unbelievable record of 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 economic achievement. I mean, nobody can argue with that. Um, and I also, it's funny because I had a black uh, gentleman come in my shop the other day, a black uh, customer, and and just kind of out of the blue, he starts kind of going off on Trump. And of course, my employees are looking, going, "Oh no, here we go!" You know, get Scott involved in a political discussion. So I, so I asked him. I said, "So you're you're a Hillary person?" Then he said, "No, no, I I can't. I could never vote for Hillary." So then I said, "Okay, well, so are you Bernie Sanders?" Then he goes, "No, no, that guy's he's nuts. You know, there's no way I'd vote for Bernie." And then this was before the Indiana primary. So I said, "So Ted Cruz?" He goes, "No, nah, that guy's just too weak." So I'm like, okay, so who are you, who are you voting for? Who are you going to support? And he said, well, he goes, you know what? I'm a businessman. I got to go with Trump. I'm a businessman. He's a businessman. He's the guy that's going to get stuff going. So I'm kind of like, okay, wow. And I, I have a feeling this guy was probably a Democrat. He's probably voted a Democrat in the past. And I've also mentioned on the air, my sister, who's been a lifelong Democrat, uh, blew my mind months ago when she said, I'm not voting for Hillary. I'm voting for Trump. So it is a fact that Trump has gotten a lot of crossover voters. There's no doubt about that. And I think I think my concern though was not was was not the 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 people that he's getting in, but what about the people that he's losing? I mean, conservatives that are saying never Trump. Um now I think he's still got time to bring those people back into the fold. Um but my message to all of you out there is we need to unify the party. Um all you Ted Cruz supporters, 
Um, we, and, and here's the thing. I, I would, if I had any advice to give to Donald Trump, if you want to bring all those people over tomorrow, there's one thing you can do. So if there's anybody from the Trump campaign listening, take, take, take note of this advice. Nominate Ted Cruz as your first person for the Supreme Court, and I guarantee you, you'll get every single last one, well, almost every single last one of those never-Trump people. Uh, so that's my advice to Donald Trump. So let's go on to, uh, let's go on the other side. Let's take a look at Hillary Clinton. A lot of people, that the news of Trump sealing up the, the uh, nomination, of course, just overshadowed everything else. And Hillary Clinton lost Indiana. And she actually lost it, lost it pretty convincingly to Bernie Sanders. So that's, I think that's good for our side that, that the Democrat campaign continues to go on. Um, I mean, look, let's look at the facts. The Democrat Party is going to elect a felon as their nominee. Hillary Clinton is a felon. One of the questions that I had for my, my police sources was, do you think the FBI is political? Do you think they are politically biased? And the answer was yes. And I said, well, then do you think, well, the question is, then why are they got this investigation going on with Hillary Clinton? And the answer was because they have to, because they have to. Not only is there so much evidence that the FBI could, couldn't ignore it, but there's enough evidence where they're going to recommend indicting Hillary Clinton. And as we speak, I just saw this before I went on the air, Uma Abedin, otherwise known as Uma Wiener, Uma Wiener is being questioned by the FBI as we speak. So this process is happening. It's not going to be fairly long before Hillary Clinton herself is going to be brought in front of the FBI for questioning. Um, the other things I think we have going for us, I think, I think on the Democrat side, they're going to have low voter turnout. There's a lot of dislike for Hillary Clinton. Within the Democrat Party, uh, a lot of those Bernie Sanders supporters are not going to come out for Hillary Clinton. I think they're going to stay home. Um, and I think um, I think there's a lot of things going for us. I think Trump might. It's, it's possible that Trump could have been perhaps our best choice uh, to actually beat Hillary Clinton. So for me, it's just going to be I hope I hope Donald Trump will do the right thing. I hope Donald Trump will win. And we'll be talking a lot about this, obviously, over the next couple of weeks. I do want to take a minute, though, and talk about. Winning, or in the words of Charlie Sheen, Duh. winning. Great political philosopher Charlie Sheen. Um, because let's face it, if we don't win, all of this talk, all of this talk radio, all of this blogs and websites, if we don't win, um, we're kind of like done as a country. I mean, to a large extent. I mean, how will this country survive? I've always put it in business terms. So, like, if you have a very large company or corporation and you have terrible leadership, how long can that company or corporation exist under terrible leadership? And we certainly have seen the results of close to eight years of, of leadership under Barack Obama. I mean, we're close to $21 trillion in debt. Our standing in the world is, is a disaster. We've got ISIS going all over the place. We're facing uh, a cultural war against radical Islam. Um, so the thought of Hillary Clinton being in there continuing these policies, uh, it's just, it's just unthinkable. And I remember that when I went to a, um, I went to an event featuring Dennis Prager and Hugh Hewitt and members of the audience were actually able to ask them a question. And I thought, well, gosh, I've got a question I want to ask. So I stood up and I said, you know what? I have a question. How do we win? How do we win? Because if you're a conservative, you're used to losing, you know, like nine times out of 10, you have lost over the last couple of decades, whether it's abortion or gay marriage or health care, uh, the Iranian nuclear deal, religious liberty, immigration, you are used to losing. So my question to them is, how do we win? How do we win? And the answer that they gave me, Dennis Prager gave me was, well, 
you have to realize that for the left, this is their religion. And, you know, for me, that was a very unsatisfactory answer. And trust me, I love Dennis Prager. Uh, he's one of my top 10 political commentators. He's definitely shaped my opinions on lots of issues. But this answer was lame for a couple of reasons. Number one, the implication is that, well, first of all, the, the, I know it's their religion. I already know that. I already know it's their religion. Uh, being a conservative is not my religion. I am not a professional right winger. Uh, I don't do this for a job. I actually have a real job, um, you know, that is not uh, that is not spreading my political dogma. So I already know that. The, the second problem I have with the answer is that it implies that the left can't be beat. So in other words, they're so religious about it um, that they can't be beat. That's like saying the radical Islam can't be defeated because they're so religious. Um, well, I, and I gotta get, I gotta get props to the left. I mean, look that they, they own 95% of the media. They own 95% of colleges and universities. Um, they own Hollywood and that wasn't always the case. They didn't always own all these institutions, but slowly, but surely while the rest of us have been going to our jobs, earning a living, trying to raise a family, trying to pay a mortgage and, and make something out of our lives. The political left has been slowly but surely, step by step, subverting our whole culture, where we have a whole generation of young people thinking that socialism is a great thing. Uh, this is a disaster. So, but my answer, though, is that we can win. We actually can win. Um, and I've got a few tips of my own in terms of how we can win. The first of which is get ready for a fight and don't back down. We got to take the gloves off. And I think that if you look at situations like Wisconsin under Scott Walker, Scott Walker went through hell. They threw everything they had at Scott Walker and he didn't back down, even though they were threatening his life. They were occupying the, the capital of Wisconsin, uh, all the pressure that he was under. He didn't back down. He stood his ground and he won. Now, that's as opposed to, let's say, Mike Pence, the governor of Indiana, who backed down on the religious liberty issue. The, the political left won that, that issue. They won that fight. But number one, we got to get ready for a fight. Take the gloves off, stand your ground, and don't back down. And the political left fight's nasty, by the way. They vote nasty. I'm not, I should have had uh, Brooke actually look this up, but I know there's one state where the governor wanted to allow felons to vote because they knew that uh, before the election that might help uh, lots of Democrat votes. So I, I will say this. Look, if you're a part of the Democrat Party, and if you're the party of felons, you got to at least look at your own party and go, wow, so this is the way the felons vote. This is really how I vote. I want to vote with the felons. Um, one other thing too, I already talked about this. We need to unite behind Trump. Uh, and once again, I said, even if Bush was the nominee, I would back him. Likewise, I'm voting, I'm voting for Trump. I'm going to back Trump hundred percent. Um, I think we need to talk to the opposition. I think that's very important as well. Uh, and when I say talk to him, don't yell at him. If I've learned anything from my wife, whenever I have these political discussions with my sister, I'd always end up yelling. So my wife's like, why don't you like not yell so much? And you might be able to get your point across instead of sounding like a lunatic. So I have listened. Don't yell. Um, ask questions, ask questions, uh, listen. If there's one thing I learned about, uh, getting a degree in psychology is you want to be an active listener. Listen to what the other person has to say, reflect back what they're saying, let them know that you're actually hearing them instead of just spewing your own political viewpoint. Um, so ask lots of questions and you'll find, I think when you relate to people in this fashion, you'll find common ground on issues. Um, you'll find things that you can actually agree upon. Uh, we're not completely diametrically opposed on every issue. My sister, for example, and asked her, well, what was it? What's it made you want to vote for Trump? 
And she said it was immigration. I was just sick and tired of the borders being left open, of all this this unrestricted immigration. She saw the impact of it. So that was her issue. And that's fine. I'm willing to run with that. We have that in common. And if that makes her a Trump voter, then great. Work your circle of influence. Talk to people that are within your your family, your friends, your coworkers. Don't be afraid to talk about politics. There's too much at stake. Everything is on the line this election. We can't be shy. So that's some advice I have to all of you out there. And I do want to share with you briefly my plan, because I do have a plan of my own, actually, to help take back the country. Um, I have a couple of sons who go to, it's called John, John Paul the Great Catholic University. It is a business and film school that is located near San Diego. It's a small school. There's probably like a couple hundred students there, but they're primarily all right-wingers. And one day I got a call from my, my son who goes to this school and he says, dad, dad, you're not going to believe it. I got to tell you about something. I said, well, okay, son, what are you going to tell me about? And he said, you know what? There's a couple of guys that uh, put up a notice that they wanted to create a right-wing comedy show and that anybody that, that was going to come out and listen could get free pizza. And I think my son was actually more interested in the free pizza than he was the, the comedy show. But he ends up showing up to this uh, the seminar given by these two young guys. They're actually both 22 years old. They're both Hillsdale graduates. And they're both stand-up comedians down in La Jolla. One of them is an Indian guy. <clears throat> the other one's a white guy. So they're, they're kind of explaining this whole concept that they have about a right-wing comedy show. And as my son's listening to them talk about this... He said, all I could think of was you, Dad, because you're like into this kind of stuff. And I do use a lot of humor on the air whenever I can uh, to make my political points. So I said, son, give me their... Uh, oh, and he said, by the way, by the way, the Indian guy is Dinesh D'Souza's nephew. And for those of you who don't know who Dinesh D'Souza is, Dinesh D'Souza was one of the most successful documentary filmmakers of all time. He made two movies, 2016... Um, and also Obama's or America, what would the world be like without her? Um, these movies gross like $50 million. And there's a new movie coming out that you need to know about. It's going to come out in July. It's called Hillary Stealing America. And it's based on a book by Dinesh D'Souza called Stealing America. It's a great book. I just finished it myself. So the point is that one of these guys is Dinesh D'Souza's nephew. So that give me their contact information. So I got in touch with him. I sent him a couple emails and finally said, okay, we need to get together. We need to talk. So we got, we did, we got together and we talked for about three hours and I shared with them my ideas. They shared with them their ideas. And we basically have put together a team, a team of about a dozen people. These are actors, actresses, uh, comedy writers. Uh, Catherine Timpf is part of our team. She's actually the snarky blonde girl that's on the Greg Gutfield show a lot. If you've ever seen her, she's on Fox News a lot. Um, but they're all millennials with the exception of myself. I'm like the only old person that's part of this team. But we're putting together the idea of a right-wing comedy show because the thing about conservatives, we're not funny. We're just not funny. Nobody looks at Rush Limbaugh, Bill O'Reilly, and even Hannity. The, the, the image of these people, particularly through the eyes of millennials, is that they're just angry old white people. And if you actually Google search conservative comedy, you know what comes up? Nothing. Nothing comes up. It is completely void. Um, we have no no alternative conservative comedy to the Bill Mars and the, the the Daily Shows, the John Stewarts, the Stephen Colberts. We have no answer to that. 
until now. So we're going to create an answer to that. And actually, um, I hope to actually have something posted on edhoffman.net for next week. Uh, we've actually completed our first project. So the plan is, the plan is to put together these videos. And we've actually gotten cooperation from the school. I have about 20 students who are acting majors and editing majors and lighting people and filming people. And we're going to put together our own little, our own little program. I call it Smack Talk which I think is kind of appropriate because that's what I like to do when I come on the air is talk smack. So the, the organization is called Smack Talk. You'll be seeing some of our work here fairly very, very soon, just in time to influence the election. And I think the important part of this program is we're actually using millennials to impact other millennials because I think that message needs to come from them. It can't come from me. It can't come from you. If you're over 40, they're probably not going to listen to you. But the things that they find funny aren't necessarily the things that we find funny. So that's what I think is important. This is Scott's plan of taking back the country. You can be a part of it. I'm going to have more announcements on it next weekend show so you can actually see our first project for yourself. You'll be able to judge it and you can tell me whether we're funny or not. But even if it's awful, I think we'll still be better than anything else out there because there is no effective large-scale right-wing comedy alternative to the political left. And, and let's face it, Humor is an extremely powerful weapon. We've seen it on Saturday Night Live. Uh, we've seen them pick apart Sarah Palin. Uh, they use it all the time. Um, and, and people take this as, as gospel. When people hear Bill Maher on the air, they think that's legitimate news. So, uh, so we are going to take that on. That's Scott's plan. You'll be hearing more about it. I do want to take a few of uh, the last minute or so of the show to once again talk about the boot campaign event we've got coming up. We want you there on May 21st. It's going to be at the Wholesale Capital Building in Moreno Valley. Uh, there's going to be music. We'll have hot dogs. Uh, we'll have entertainment. You can come do some push-ups. It's for a great cause. Uh, Joey Jones will be there. He's a double amputee, by the way. Uh, amazing guy. Amazing story. Um, so he'll be there. I will be there. Uh, what else is going on? So that that's very important. If you can't come to the event, uh, then once again, go to wccharities.org. Click, click on the push-ups for charity banner if you can help. Everybody needs to get involved in this charity. It's a great thing. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Um, there was the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, that happened recently, and we had John Boehner on there uh, doing what John or Boehner can only do, trying to, to, to be a jokester, but it, it went really, really lousy. Um, I'm almost running out of time to talk about it, but the point is that you got Obama up there making jokes about about the mess he's made out of the country, uh, dissing, of course, Donald Trump, and actually dissing Hillary Clinton as well. Do we have time for that clip? Let's hear, let's hear, uh, let's hear him diss Hillary. Hillary trying to appeal to young voters is a little bit like your relative who just signed up for Facebook. Dear America, did you get my poke? Is it appearing on your wall? I'm not sure I'm using this right. Love, Aunt Hillary. Ooh, that was a diss. All right, well, I'm all out of time for the show. Thanks for listening. Please stay tuned next week, and we'll be back with the main event. Yeah.